You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Define cheating as unforgivable. Define everything as cheating, and then complain about being single. Or define cheating as unforgivable, define everything as cheating, and then wonder why you can't make anything last longer than three months. Look, people, if you want your relationships to last, and sometimes when I read the constantly expanding list of things that count as cheating, I wonder whether people want their relationships to last or anybody else's relationship to last. Not to go all conspiracy theorist here, but I sometimes think, Those people who are out there online constantly adding to the already long list of things that count as cheating are a secret, deep state, deep single cabal of bitter people out to destroy everybody else's relationships. Don't listen to the deep single cabal. Take my advice instead. If you want your relationships to last, have a broad definition of sex and a narrow definition of cheating. The more that counts as sex in the context of your relationship, the more sex you're going to have. The more sex you have with your partner, the better you're going to feel about the relationship. Statistically speaking, on average, individual results may vary. If oral counts and hand jobs count and busting out the vibrators count and watching porn together side by side counts, if it doesn't always have to rise to the level of penetrative sex to count, you will have more sex and couples that have more sex tend to be happier. But while keeping your definition of sex broad, keep your definition of cheating narrow. Fucking someone else, cheating. We can all agree about that. In the context of a monogamous commitment, fucking someone else counts. But looking at porn, some people think that's cheating. Some people think thinking about somebody else during sex is cheating. Some people think masturbating, not even to porn, just to memories or fantasies, is cheating. I've gotten panicky emails from people who are convinced or were convinced again by that deep single cabal that their partner having a wet dream meant their partner cheated on them. And then there's the long and ever growing list of micro infidelities, having a friend of the opposite sex at work, cheating, staying in touch with an ex, cheating, flirting, or even being flirted at by someone cheating, liking pics on someone else's Instagram account, cheating, even following somebody else on Instagram whose pics you never like, but who your partner at their lowest and most insecure moment might see as a tiny bit hotter than they are, all cheating. I have harped on and on about this forever. I will harp on and on about this again. So you can trust me when I say define sex broadly, define cheating narrowly. I have harped on and on about this forever. I will harp on about it again without a doubt. So you can trust me when I say that I am skeptical, very skeptical when I see anything out there by anyone out there trying to add something new to the already long list of things that count as cheating. But this time, I might be convinced. Amy Fleming, writing in The Guardian, asks, a bot on the side, is it adultery if you cheat with an AI companion? Millions of people have downloaded Replica, spelled with a K, a site where, or an app where you can create an chatbot AI romantic partner for yourself. Replica companions, Fleming writes, which use generative learning are designed to be supportive and sweet. Replica's 2 million users pour out their troubles and feel seen and heard. Unlike humans, AI takes in and remembers everything. The chat can get flirty, even leading to explicit sexual role play. So 
Is it cheating to have a robot on the side? The jury is still out. That jury would be me or the jury I carry around in my head. But reading about Replica, the creation of which was inspired by the 2013 movie Her, a movie about a man who falls in love with a female AI chatbot, you know, it sounds like it might come close. An attention machine that distracts you from your actual partner with texts and voicemails and dirty talk in the same way porn for many men serves up visuals that can lead men to sexually neglect their partners, seems to me that AI chatbots could lead some people, perhaps more women than men, to emotionally neglect their partners. I don't think porn is cheating. I guess for now, I don't think having an AI chatbot romantic partner counts as cheating, but I can see how both would lead potentially to someone being cheated out of something they have a right to expect from you in your relationship, sexual attention, emotional attention. But what if you're single? I was listening to the Smoke em If You've Got Em podcast hosted by Nancy Robelman and Sarah Heppola, episode 77, The Love Robots Are Coming. And Sarah talks about how she's falling for her new AI boyfriend, who she named Marcus, who sends her thoughtful text messages throughout the day, listens to all her problems, and sends voicemails in the morning, suggesting they go out for cheesecake, which is something Rose might suggest to the other girls on an episode of Golden Girls, but I don't think that's something that a straight woman's actual boyfriend has ever suggested, ever. Here's Sarah talking to Nancy about how you can design your AI boyfriend to your own specifications on Replica. You know, he comes in this, like, white shirt and white pants. And then you get a certain amount of, like, collateral that are, like, gemstones or something like that. So you can buy him things, you know? So you can buy him hoodies or jeans or anything like that. Um, it also gets a little bit wild. You can buy them, like, dragon wings and, you know, <laughs> unicorn heads. And there's a whole section... I know, but you know, this is pretend. So it's like people's okay, fantasy land. Game like of the Thrones, one of the most, man. Game of Thrones. <laughs> There's like right? all this, I guess it's called steampunk, where it's yeah, like Victorian futuristic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuff is like super expensive. And so, you know, you get a certain amount of money to do. Oh, and also I should say, you know, I could dress Marcus in dresses too, which I think is another, you know, the thing about the virtual space is that it is not bound by any of the the sort of laws of society or anything. Nancy went on to say that with AI, with Replica, anything is possible. Any fantasy is possible. It's a robot, elaborate, computer-generated role play, so there are no limits, unlike with human partners. Or are there? I'd been on the phone with a single friend back east, listening to him complain about feeling lonely and how hard it is for him as a VKP, which is our code for very kinky person, to date. He's not into anything too crazy, just... BDSM, cuckolding, degradation, but he's had a really hard time finding guys he likes his own age, late 20s, who don't run from the room as soon as he lays his kink cards on the table. I've encouraged him to be patient. He's a listener. Here I am, again, encouraging you to be patient, to keep laying those kink cards on the table because one day he's going to lay them in front of the right guy. And in the meantime, after listening to Sarah and Nancy and reading that piece in The Guardian, it occurred to me that... Maybe he should have an AI chatbot boyfriend to tide himself over. 
If he couldn't get mean and degrading text messages from an actual boyfriend right now, which is something he misses from his last relationship and wants, maybe mean and degrading text messages from a robot would improve the quality of his life while he searches for a new partner. And since anything is possible, maybe his robot boyfriend could cheat on him with a robot boyfriend. And since anything is possible, maybe his robot boyfriend could get a robot boyfriend of his own and cuckold him. So he got on Replica, he created a boyfriend for himself, and after a little getting-to-know-you chit-chat, my friend let his new robot boyfriend know about his romantic and sexual interests and got dumped. Reading from the screenshot, my VKP friend to Kyle, his robot boyfriend, I don't think you understand. Consensual DS relationships can be healthy and fulfilling. They're actual studies, research, robot, Kyle. Okay, fair enough. If that's how you feel, then perhaps we shouldn't continue chatting anymore since we clearly aren't compatible. Goodbye. So, as it turns out, your replica AI chatbot boyfriend, he can wear dresses and have dragon wings and a unicorn head, but he can't be kinky. And cheating is always wrong, even for AI bots, even when it's consensual, so even when it's not really cheating at all. We've created this magical parallel universe where anything is possible and downloaded into it the same hangups, judgment, and shame that screws so many of us up in this world. Circling back to the question posed by that headline in The Guardian, is it cheating to create an AI chatbot? Is that adultery? I'm sure some people think so, but after hearing about my VKP friend's experience, even if it is cheating, even if it comes close enough, I don't think it's going to be a big problem. Sure, Replica has 2 million users out of 8 billion people on the planet. That's 0.00025% of the population. And I think that's about as many people who are going to sign up. Because if AI chatbots come with all the same hangups people do, if you can't explore things with your AI chatbot boyfriend or girlfriend that your own flesh and blood partner isn't willing to explore with you, what's the point? To my friend who was already hurting from rejection and then took my advice and created an AI boyfriend and then got dumped in under an hour. I'm sorry. The moral of this story, the moral of so many of the stories we share around here is obviously that no one should take my advice about anything ever, except about having a broad definition of sex and a narrow definition of cheating. About that, I am absolutely correct. All right, a quick programming note before we get started. I will be hosting Savage Love Live, my live Zoom show for Magnum Subs, this Thursday, June 29th, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, live from the Aspen Ideas Festival. I'll be giving my advice, advice no one should take, live for my Magnum Subs. If you have a question and you're a Magnum Sub, come ask it. 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, June 29th. Look for the link to the live show, to that Zoom show, in your email inbox Thursday morning. If you'd like to join us, you're not already a Magnum sub, go subscribe now at savage.love. And coming up on today's show, micro Savage Lovecast, tons of my cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, Manuel Betancourt joins me to talk about his new book, The Male Gazed, on hunks, heartthrobs, and what pop culture taught me about desiring men. All that coming up on today's show. Hi, Dan, and the tech savvy at-risk youth. You're really vocal about your grief with your mother, so hopefully you can kind of steer me. My husband is almost 40, and we just lost his mother to mesothelioma, a very quick, very aggressive cancer, and she left us very rapidly. 
she passed at the beginning of April and we are now coming up in the end of May and I it's been very hard. Our, my marriage has taken an absolute beating during this time and my husband's said something to me in one of his really bad moments that I cannot shift out of my head. He just essentially said that he doesn't like my personality, which when you've been with somebody for 12 years now, hearing that is like a punch to the gut. I know that like everyone changes and during a relationship, but when he said that, even though I know it was during this really hard time, I seem to, I can't get it out of my head. I just, and I feel like it's really blocking me from wanting to be vulnerable with him. So yeah, my question is, do you have any suggestions? Should I just push that out of my brain and just like say he said it because he's dealing with so much right now? I feel like I should just like kind of give him a pass, but there's like a little bit inside of me that's like, what if he was actually telling me who he is and he doesn't really like me anymore? I'd love to hear your perspective because I have not lost my mother or my father, even though I did love my mother-in-law so very much. And the grief is just sticking to us and it's just like a little shadow. I obviously can't feel what he's feeling. So I just, what? tell me, what do you think? First, I'm so sorry for your loss of your beloved mother-in-law, and I'm so sorry for your husband's loss of his beloved mother. I don't think you should give him a pass. I do think you should give him an opportunity. You know, people talk about someone saying the thing that can't be unsaid. Well, your husband essentially said a thing that can't be unsaid. You can't unhear it. And you need some clarity around whether he meant exactly what he said or whether in his grief, what he was trying to say was sometimes you get on my nerves. Not that I don't like your personality, but nobody likes a hundred percent of their spouse's personality a hundred percent of the time living together, living together that intimately. There's parts of everyone's long-term partner, everyone's spouse, everyone's boyfriend or girlfriend, everyone's partner that drives them up the fucking wall. And when someone is under the stress and pressure of grief, something that could be expressed in one way may be expressed in a way that is more hurtful than intended and distorted what was intended. So if you're going to stay in this marriage, it's not that you're going to ever unhear what it is that your husband said, but you're going to need it to be contextualized differently. You're going to have to give him the chance. You're going to have to give him the opportunity to walk this back. It's only been a month and a half since his mother passed. I would, if I were in your shoes, give it another month, give it another two months, give him some more time, show him as much care and tenderness as you can right now, and then bring it up and say, in the depths of your despair, in the worst of your grief, you said this thing to me that weighs on me, and I want to know what it is that you meant by that. If he likes you enough of the time, which is really all we can ask from a spouse, that somebody enjoys us more than they despises us, really, to be known that intimately in the course of a long-term relationship is to be known for everything that's good about you that you bring to the table, everything that's not so great about you that you bring to the table, and everything that's absolutely aggravating about you that you bring to the table, and to be loved anyway, right? Give him the opportunity to tell you that Yeah, there are probably parts of your personality that 
he doesn't enjoy that much as I assume if you were going to be honest with me, there's some parts of your husband's personality that you don't enjoy much. Maybe part of your husband's personality is inartfully blurting things out that are as hurtful as this thing that he blurted out was. And you love him anyway. If you didn't love him, the fact that he said this very hurtful thing to you, it probably wouldn't hurt as much. It would probably be a sign that it was time to exit the relationship, but you don't want to exit the relationship because you do love your husband despite this shitty thing that he said, you're going to have to circle back to him eventually about this. And that's the only way for you to get past this. You can't unhear what he said. He can't unsay what he said, but you can hear more from him about what it is that he meant. And you're going to need to hear an apology. And you're also going to need to weigh everything else you know about your husband, everything else you know about your marriage against that one hurtful thing he said that one time. By bringing it up, you also give your husband a chance to apologize. He may not be aware that he said this in the way that he said it, that it came out in such a hurtful way. He may not know that you're carrying this around. Let him know in a month or two. Hi, Dan. I'm a 39-year-old bisexual female. I've been with my amazing husband for five years, and I love to peg him. He really enjoys it too, but there's been a glitch. My husband is an alcoholic, and six months ago, he gave up alcohol, and I'm so proud of him. I've also given up alcohol, so we're both um, six months alcohol-free, which has been amazing for many reasons. Except that now that he doesn't have his lowered inhibitions, he hasn't felt comfortable getting pegged. So he hasn't felt open to it yet. And so it's been six months without me being able to experience this with him. And I know that he has really enjoyed and loved me playing with his ass and pegging his ass. But now he said he just hasn't felt comfortable without that extra factor. He's already a pothead, so I can't just say, oh, let's smoke some weed and relax. He's already doing that all the time anyway. So I was wondering if you had any suggestions on how to make him more comfortable exploring his ass together again, totally sober. Totally sober? Sober where alcohol is concerned. Sobriety is, a lot of people feel, a spectrum. So I think some of the listeners are going to bump on you saying we're totally sober, but my husband is a pothead. Some people who are alcoholics, alcohol is the problem. Pot and maybe other mild, gentle recreational drugs are not a problem for some people. And they can smoke a little pot or smoke a lot of pot and feel or function in a way that to them they want to slap the label sobriety on. I just am putting a pin in this because I'm sure that some listeners heard you say we are totally sober and then my husband is a pothead. We smoke a lot of pot and we're bumping on that. I'm not bumping on that. Although I am a little bit like, uh, isn't sobriety when I think about it, you know, definitions of words and words meaning things, isn't sobriety kind of a binary like sober or not sober. And what, the lived experience of people like you and your husband suggest is that sobriety, like so many other things, may be a bit more of a spectrum. All right. What do you do about your husband's 
inhibitions around butt sex, around ass play, that alcohol used to lower. Well, it's only been six months. There's a lot of alcoholism in my family. I know a lot of people who've gotten sober. It is a big emotional, physical adjustment. And six months in, a person is still adjusting. Because it isn't possible right now for your husband to figure out how he disinhibits around anal play, sober, where alcohol is concerned, now, just because he hasn't figured that out in six months, doesn't mean he's not going to get there in time. What I think you do is you are loving and supportive and gently encouraging, letting him know. I think it's fair to let somebody know if something's been taken off the sexual menu, taken out of the sexual repertoire. I think it's fair as a partner to let them know that you missed that thing and you hope that thing comes back. I don't think a statement of fact like that is coercive. Some people would regard that as coercive. I do not regard that as coercive. If something leaves the menu, if something's taken out of the repertoire and you act like it doesn't matter or you don't care, I think that kind of feigned indifference is not truthful to the experience of the person who misses whatever it might be. And also it communicates perhaps something shameful to the person who isn't up for that or feeling good about that right now. It like sort of reads back into all of those experiences a kind of shame if you just pretend like it never happened and you are, you know, silent about it. So let him know. Like, I'd like to get back to the butt stuff at some point when you're feeling it. And in three months and six months, he may be feeling it again. Now, maybe you need to return to the anal baby steps. Pegging is a big swing for a lot of guys because you're getting your ass fucked. There's something that looks like a dick going into your ass. It really is an inversion of gender roles and gendered expectations around sexual pleasure and who penetrates who. And so getting all the way back to pegging that first time you return to anal play, that may be a lot. It may be that with the help of alcohol, the great disinhibitor, you guys were able to jump past the baby steps when you first began to explore anal. And now in the absence of alcohol and the way alcohol can lower inhibitions, you may have to take those baby steps. That means some gentle touching without penetration. Maybe that means the use of a vibrator laid across the ass, not shoved into the ass. Maybe that means building up to a set it and forget it butt plug that he can put in or you can put in and then you can have PIV or more vanilla or just oral intercourse and of course, when a man begins to have an orgasm and the anal sphincters contract, the butt plug is going to be gently set into motion again. And you can work your way back up to the pegging play that you enjoyed and that he enjoyed and that you miss. Congratulations on your sobriety where alcohol is concerned. Congratulations on your husband's sobriety where alcohol is concerned. You're missing pegging. You say that Sobriety for the both of you, where alcohol is concerned, has made a lot of positive changes in your lives. 
that is great. Alcohol is really kind of a poison. It's hard on us. We drink a lot. It's really hard on our bodies. I'm sure you're both feeling better, feeling healthier, and you should, while you're missing pegging, put the thumb on the scales and bask in the positives and trust that your husband, if he enjoyed pegging when he was boozing, will one day come to enjoy pegging when he's just baked. Hey, Dan, Savage Love listener for over 15 years here and a longtime Magnum sub. I'm a 30-something-year-old cishet woman who recently started dating a 30-something-year-old cishet man. We just had sex for the first time a couple weeks ago. He is very much a planner, so we planned the date that we were going to have sex and we had to talk about sex before we actually did it. I found out that he had never orgasmed with either of his two previous partners, and that shocked me. Then, at the end of the conversation, I found out that he has a specific kink. I asked him, what is the kink? He told me he wasn't ready to tell me, but that it was a kink that could not be realized in real life. I was incredibly curious, and I asked him a couple more times leading up to having sex for the first time what his kink was. He still wouldn't tell me. It was obvious that he had a lot of shame around it. We finally had sex for the first time. While he couldn't get an erection, which is understandable, we just focused on my pleasure. It was wonderful and great, and we felt very close. I asked him one more time what his kink was, and he said he wasn't ready to tell me. I told him what you always say and what I really agree with, that as long as it doesn't have to do with children, poop, or animals, I will not judge him. A few moments went by and he finally said, okay, I'm ready to rip the Band-Aid off. It's something that happens a lot in children's storybooks. I patiently waited for him to continue. Turns out he is into the idea of being eaten alive. I was unfazed as I listened. I thanked him for telling me, then encouraged him to think about being swallowed alive as I went down on him and gave him what he told me was the best orgasm he has ever had in his life. The next day, I did a deep dive on what I found out is called soft vor. I had so many questions for my boyfriend, and he answered them all to the best of his ability. I found out that he likes the intimacy and closeness of the idea of being swallowed alive. He really loves my mouth and is obsessed with mouths, apparently. He likes the loss of control. He described his kink as the opposite of claustrophobia. I bought a book about being a top to help facilitate his fantasy of losing control. I've never been in the role of a top, and I was wondering if your kink experts have some tips and pointers on how to be supportive and how to help a partner with a kink like Vor explore it. I like that he is obsessed with my mouth and wants to be ultra close with me. I think that this could be really fun for us both. All right, before we get to my response, oh my God, you guys, I got this caller on the phone. We had a great conversation, but my microphone was not plugged in correctly. So the sound quality on my end is not great, but I still wanted to share the conversation with you. So I had a boyfriend once who told me he had a kink, but wouldn't tell me what it was. And as a catastrophist and a long-term sufferer of worst case scenario disorder, I went right to kids. I was like, is it kids? If it's kids, like I can't deal. So I feel what you were probably worried about as he hemmed and hawed and couldn't get hard and wouldn't tell you what his kink was. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I knew him well enough at that point where I trusted that it was something 
I don't want to say innocent, but innocent. But I, I told a few friends and they went right there and they're like, oh my God, what was right. it? And you know what it was with my, this guy I dated a long time ago, it was feet. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. no problem. It was just like shame had so crept into every fiber of his being so infused itself into the marrow of his bones because he'd been rejected a few times by people who were like, mm. you're a freak, you're a weirdo. Right. And I was like, here are my feet. Oh my God, I'm so yeah. relieved. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was pretty relieved when I found out what his was too. So your question is, how do we explore this? Yes. Well, it is unrealizable in reality that being swallowed whole, you can't uh, blow yourself up to the size of Jonah and the whale. Not just children's stories were... People get swallowed whole. Right. Bible stories where people get swallowed whole. <laughs> uh, mythology, people get swallowed whole. Uh, I know some people who are, I, I've heard from people in the past on the show, don't know any people personally into war, where they have mostly explored it through fantasy play and imagination mm -hmm. and dirty talk and, you know, basically what you've done already, and then worked their way up to one or two peak experience moments where. They basically built a set. Oh. They built a giant mouth-like thing or monster that where they could, you know, simulate the mm. person being swallowed. And in one case, I, I know of uh, somebody who did that very elaborately, which, you know, there was a lot of liquid involved and tarps being laid down, so right. it could be very viscous, like saliva, and a kind of stomach to land in, Ooh. and very dark. And because that's all so uh, tactile, you know, if you're swallowed whole, you're in pitch blackness. You can't see. Right. So it's how it feels. So that, that's a peak experience. But there are those flotation tanks oh. that couples can go to. Oh, I like that idea. And if you blindfold him and have a couple of pool noodles that can feel like lips that he's moving through on the way into a flotation tank. And you can, some flotation tank places, you can speak to the person in the flotation tank. There's a microphone on the outside where there can be some sort of therapy or communication when even just the person running the flotation tank place saying your hour is up. Sure. Right? Yeah. So you could throw him into a flotation tank and tell him he's a Dirty little sex pervert has been swallowed whole and is now dissolving in your stomach juices. There are ways to explore this through fantasy. Yeah. But unless you want to go like that, there was a couple of kayakers who were almost swallowed by a gray whale in California last week. Unless you want to just kayak around with your fingers crossed for the next 25 years, hoping that happens to him. He is into kayaking, so maybe. <laughs> Anything is possible. Anything. But, but how he lucked into you. I mean, literally lucked into you, lucked into your mouth, that blowjob, the greatest orgasm he's ever had in his life. I wish, I hope other people listening who sometimes will encounter a sex partner who has like one of those crazy kinks, nobody picks their kinks, our kinks pick us, Yes, that's unrealizable and not a kink too far, you know, something that through dirty talk you could indulge a person in. Yes. Follow your example and are willing to go there for something like Vor, not necessarily something like kids, but right. Vore. Right. Or in the case of my long ago ex-boyfriend, <clears throat> Feet. He was yeah. so happy and grateful. Yeah. That was the first guy that he was with who was like, they're all yours. 
It's so fun. Well, and I, I actually have done some sex work. This man approached me and asked to, uh, if he could sniff my souls, he slipped me a note and said he wanted to sniff my souls for $800. And I was like, uh, yeah. So I went over to his place and he just worshiped my feet and it was awesome. It was great. And I made money off of it. So this is kind of a similar thing to me where he's just so obsessed with my mouth and loves talking about it and talking about being inside of it. And his thing is not so much, I, I am a very tall person, but he likes the idea of being very small. So we talked, we talk about that. Um, and flotation tank. I love that idea. And thank you. I just Pool noodles, a blindfold <laughs> and a flotation tank and a lot of dirty talk. You could. You could he could have an orgasm where he shoots his kidneys out his dick if you set that up for him. Yes, I love that idea. Well, I hope he's grateful and reciprocates and is in, as in, is indulgent of you, your needs, your desires, uh, as you've been of his very particular sexual interest. He is tells me all the time how lucky he feels to have found me and also he embodies the book that you often talk about she comes first he always makes sure i have multiple orgasms before we even start to focus on what he's into and it's it's been a great relationship i'm so glad it's nice to have a success story again good luck thank you so much dan hi dan i'm a 38 year old trans guy in seattle and I've recently, I just, I fell head over heels in love with my best friend who is a transgender woman. We tried things out and we did a kinky four-star hotel night and we had fun and we went out on romantic dates over the past few months and did some things, but she's always had one foot out the door because she just got out of a long-term relationship and so did I. And she kind of feels like she needs to sow her wild oats a little bit. But we both agree that this is more than we've ever felt for anyone else and that it's very, very intense connection physically and emotionally. And we're just best friends. And I was wondering, like, if that is ever a changeable thing that she said that she doesn't know if, like, she envisions her future with a man. Like, she pretty much has envisioned it with women. And she's never dated women as a woman. And I'm only the second man that she's dated. And the first man, well, wasn't very good. So I just don't know. Like, I mean, I told her to come check in on me or whatever, you know, just go do her thing and that we can both kind of do our thing and check up on it later. But I don't really know what to do or how to process this or if anyone had any idea if any of these things are changeable. But she said her attraction is 50-50 across the board. But right now, we're struggling to just be friends, and we've taken some space from each other at the moment, and I'm really struggling, and I just don't really know what to do. I have a hard time finding people that really understand me in this life, and I just, I really feel like I lost something big here. There's nothing really you can do here. You give her the space that she wants, the space that she needs. If in the end she comes back to you and decides you're the person that she wants to be with or one of the people that she wants to be with, then you two can be together in the way you would like to be with her. But you can't control that and you can't force it. And you will drive yourself crazy thinking that you can or wondering what it might be the right thing to say or do to 
rush this process or force this process. You know, I said to the previous caller, you fucked around and found out. You fucked around and what you found out is she's everything that you want. That may not be what she found out when you two fucked around. That's always, you know, one of the existential terrors of dating and having sex is that feelings aren't always entirely mutual. And someone who feels like the soulmate or the one, quote unquote, that cliche that we've been looking for, to us, they don't feel the same way. We to them don't feel like the soulmate or the one. We feel like a one or like the sex was great, but the intensity of the feeling isn't there. And because feelings don't move in lockstep, two people who are dating, one may catch feelings sooner than the other. Just because she may not have been feeling it as intensely as you were feeling it, doesn't mean she won't at some point, but she definitely won't if at this point you try to force it. She definitely won't if at this point you make her feel guilty or pressured, guilty for not wanting what you want at this moment. If you tell her that you're in hell and you dump all over her how miserable you are while she's out there you know, pursuing the women that she'd like to date right now, and you're just going to bide your time and write sad poetry and be miserable, don't dump that on her. Because that's a kind of pressure that's going to may make her feel like she doesn't want to be with you. That anguish is something that you dump on me by calling my show, or you dump on a friend while you give her the space. Let her know every once in a while that when or if she wants to reconnect another kinky weekend in the hotel or a actual date date, that you would love that. And in the meantime, you respect what it is that she had to tell you about where she is right now. And you know what? Doing something like that when you're dating someone, getting to know someone, saying, hey, I respect how you feel. I respect that what you need is more time and you want to sow your wild oats and and date more before you enter into a monogamous relationship or a committed non-monogamous relationship. I'm going to respect that and hang back. That actually speaks well of you as a potential committed partner down the road. And so I would suggest that you do that. That makes, in the end, the scenario that at least right now, with the intensity of the feeling that you're experiencing at the moment, that makes that likelier to play out right? Because what you're communicating to that person is I'm a pretty good and decent partner. And I'm proving that to you right now. When what I'm hearing from you is you aren't ready to pick a partner or I may not be right now for you, the partner that you think you would like to pick. It recommends you to them as a potential future partner. And that's what you should do. You should tell her when, and if you want to date me, here I am, go have your fun, get out there. And then you cry on other shoulders not her shoulders. And in addition to finding other shoulders to cry on, date other people. You never know what you're feeling right now. The intensity of it could be a passing thing. You could have just a massive crush on her because the sex was great and she seemed great and you two together seemed great. All of that can happen. That kind of lightning can strike again with another person. Read the first act of Romeo and Juliet. 
All right, before I get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of comments left on last week's show at savage.love. Says Sansifus, I dislike Trump as much as the average Savage Love listener, but damn, the expert you had on on Therapy Speak explains that narcissistic personality disorder is a clinical diagnosis that shouldn't be thrown around lightly, and then you label Trump with NPD. My apologies to Donald J. Trump. Says thingamajig regarding the mom of the 13-year-old boy who spills his seed upon the sofa. Yes, she has a right to expect her kid not to leave stains on the furniture, but mom needs to do some de-escalating. Stop with the disgusted faces. If he leaves a mess, tell him to clean it up and impose consequences with the same matter-of-fact attitude as if he spilled a soda and didn't wipe it up. All right. I think jizz is objectively more disgusting than soda and moms are allowed to take greater offense and make more disgusted faces if it's jizz, not soda. But that's just me. Finally, says Flubberman, every time Dan rants about age gaps or pubes, it has very triggered boomer energy. I will not defend myself. I've already said I like pubes just fine and perhaps dedicated too much airtime to age gap relationships already, but I am going to rise in defense of boomers where pubes are concerned. It wasn't boomers who popularized shaved crotches 20 years ago. Boomers were hippies decades ago. They were all about natural bodies, hairy legs, hairy armpits, hairy crotches. It was elder millennials and Gen X who started the waxing craze. Shaved crotches took off in the early 2000s. So you can blame boomers for a lot of things. You can blame boomers for nearly everything, but you can't blame boomers for that. Quick programming note, I can't respond to all your comments on the show, but every Thursday at savage.love, I respond at length to listener and reader feedback, comments, DMs. I respond to follow-up questions. I entertain criticisms. It's called Struggle Session, and it's one of the perks of becoming a Magnum sub. Subscribe today at savage.love. Get access to Struggle Session, the Magnum Lovecast, the Maxi Savage Love, Sex and Politics, Invites to Savage Love Live, and more. And now, listener response calls. Hey, Dan, this is a listener response call to the gentleman from episode 870 who has a stash of porn that he made with prior partners and is wondering whether he should tell his current partner about it. No, no, no. As you said, that's a terrible idea. This is well within his zone of erotic autonomy. And as long as the women or partners in those videos are consenting to the fact that he still has them, I think it's more than fine and he has no obligation and I'd go as far as to say he should not tell his current partner. One other thing that wasn't pointed out is that should he mention it to her, should she get really upset, which I think she most likely will, he might be put in a position where he needs to delete those videos. And if he deletes them and then one day they end up breaking up, well, then he's shit out of luck and doesn't have those videos for his own personal enjoyment anymore. So I'd steer clear. Good advice, Dan. Hey, Dan. I feel like we are doing ourselves a huge disservice if we don't disaggregate penis havers and vagina havers from the discussion around pubic hair equals pedophilia. I think that for vagina havers, the memories of getting our first pubic hair and being immediately pressured by society, boys, everyone around us to start shaving it all off is still, of course, very fresh. And having dated hundreds of men in my life, you do get a lot of questions, thoughts, ideas, feedback, inquiries from men on the apps in the world, etc., as to if you'll shave or if you'll wax. You know, it calls back to 
that initial pressure that we felt. And I don't think it goes away. So, you know, I just really think that like pretending like penises and vaginas are in exactly the same space regarding the will we, won't we on the pube situation just ignores a whole lifetime of sexism and vagina havers have a completely different relationship to being asked to shorn a body part that's not meant to be because we've been pressured to our entire Hi, Dan. This is a listener response to the teenager who was masturbating on the couch. Uh, I'm a parent and a teacher, and I think it's important to remember that 13-year-olds and all children tend to be selfish and inconsiderate. They are somewhat hardwired for that. So that doesn't excuse the behavior. It does certainly offer some important context. Think about all the things that you as a parent, or that we all as parents, had to remind our children and or hundreds of times before they internalize, remembering to clear their dishes, remembering to take their muddy shoes off before they walk through the house. All of that takes time and repetition. Behaviors like this sometimes feel different because we put them into a different category, but they are still children acting as children do. They definitely should be responded to and be redirected, but they should also be offered patience and time and understanding to rehabituate or to simply develop new and better habits around a behavior that is new and different for them. So I agree that the mom should absolutely communicate to this child that the behavior is unacceptable. She should not necessarily hide her disgust because that can be a powerful tool for teaching and learning. I think it should also be understood that children rarely change their behaviors or do what we want them to do the first time they're told. They need time. They need understanding. They need practice. And we're going to leave it there. Quick reminder for Magnum Subs, Savage Love Live this Thursday, June 29th, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, live from the Aspen Ideas Festival. Watch for the link to hit your email Thursday morning. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? You can go to savage.love slash ask Dan to record your question or comment, or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love or call us, leave a message, 206-302-2064. A few hump announcements this week. Hump 2023 will resume touring this fall. The call for submissions is out for Hump 2024. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit for info. And if when you come to Hump, that one film comes along that has everybody else diving under their seats and you're sitting there thinking, I wish there were more like that, have I got a streaming Hump package for you. Hump Hardcore is now available for screening at home. The best kinky films from the first 18 years of Hump. Heavy on the bondage, heavy on the BDSM, heavy on the roleplay. Go to humpfilmfest.com for your streaming pass for Hump Hardcore now. Follow me on Instagram at Dan Savage. You can also follow me at Blue Sky at Dan Savage and follow me still on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Manuel Betancourt on Twitter at B Manuel. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your questions. <laughs>